Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Hello and welcome. I'm honored to be with you again today. You know, God has us on this brand new adventure and we're pleased to be following his lead. We've been talking about what does life look like at the radical center? What does it look like to be the ecclesia, the church, the called out? I want to do a quick review with you. Remember the three circles. We ask, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, that's the Great Commission. We are making more and better disciples. And, and how do we do that? It's called the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And then the third circle is, why are we doing this? I call it the Great Connection. Very simply, it's to glorify God. Now, these three circles show the relationship between three huge key biblical concepts. Now, in our time together, I always like to get the conversation started, and I'd like for you to keep it going. We're learning right now how God uses pivotal moments to mature us. Biblically, it's just called the testing of our faith. Our first decision should be to live in the center of God's will for our lives. We want to live according to the calling that God has given to each one of us. But the second decision then has to be that we're going to love God so much that we trust him with our personal spiritual growth. But how do we know that we're loving God? To begin with, Loving God requires that we live by faith, that we trust God's timing and his provision. And while I'd like to think that that would be an easy process, it really isn't because faith gets tested along the way. And we've learned it's not a bad thing because faith that's been tested can be trusted. And that's why God tests our faith. He wants to mature the way we think, which matures everything else. Now we've been looking at some ways in which our faith gets tested. Let's back up in the story. You'll recall that when God came to Moses, he told him initially back in Exodus chapter three, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Wow, that's really exciting. I'm in, let's do this thing. But then their faith was tested and they got discouraged. They had the wind literally knocked out of them and fear set in and they focused on, my life is so hard. But then they learned that in those times when life is tough, faith believes that the Lord will redeem us. And he did. After 10 plagues, Pharaoh was ready to let God's people go. But God knew their faith needed to be strengthened. That's where we come to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter, because God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. It's a bit humorous that the people thought they were ready for battle, but God knew that at the very first sign of hardship, they'd be inclined to go back. So he had to make it impossible for them to go back. See, God knew their attitude would be the minute they saw trouble, this is too hard, I can't do it. And God was so 
right. Because the moment they realized that Pharaoh regretted his decision to let them go and, at, and that he had sent his army to bring them back, they were terrified. And terrifying moments are times when fear says, I don't think I'm going to survive this. I'm not just a little afraid, I'm terrified. But they learned in those moments that faith believes that we don't need to be afraid, we can stand firm and we can see the Lord's deliverance. Once again, God showed up and showed off. Now, once they were safe on the other side of the Red Sea, Israel worshiped God. Now, this is a big deal. One moment, they're terrified and out of options, and the next, they're safe on the other side of the Red Sea, and nobody's pursuing them anymore. And they worshiped. Now, we have the next part of the story at the end of chapter 14, very last verse. Scripture says, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Chapter 15, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Wow, the attitude of the people was, Moses is amazing, God is awesome, and life is so good. We almost failed, we almost did, but we didn't. It was a close call, but then we called on God and he delivered us. I imagine they felt pretty good about things. What could possibly go wrong? They're headed the right direction. Their faith was growing. They trusted God and he had come through and they were free. It's a brand new day. Let's go. And when they least expected it, wouldn't you know it, their faith is tested again. In fact, Israel is about to have their faith tested only this time. The testing came in waves. You, have you ever been there where it's like, here comes another one, another testing. But this testing wasn't about what was happening to them. This is important. It was about what was not happening for them. We read in chapter 15, verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went into the desert of Shur. And for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And that's why it's called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water was fit to drink. Three days after being saved from the Egyptians, they're tired, they're thirsty, and they expected that they'd find some water at the very next stop. But this was a bitter moment, or should I say a bitter sweet moment because they expected pure water, but they got bitter water. And when their expectations weren't met, their attitude turned from praise to protest. Because sometimes it's not what's happening to us that tries our faith. It's what isn't happening for us. The ball isn't bouncing our way. We just can't seem to catch a break. It's not, it's not going the way I'd like for it to go. And just when we think that we've been tested enough, this test of faith sneaks up on us because it's not happening to us. It's just not happening for us. The second wave. 
Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. The whole community, Israelite community, set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is be, between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What was the problem? They were hungry. Actually, they, actually they were hangry. They were bad-tempered and irritable. Hangry is where hunger and determination meet. I'm hungry and I'm going to do something about it. But the Israelites got to thinking about the great food they had in Egypt and they started grumbling about the lack of great food they had in the wilderness. What'd they do? They glorified the past. We do that, don't we? We tend to make the past grander than it was. We talk about how it was back in the good old days. Those are the, those are the good old days. I personally believe that the good old days are ahead of us. But then the third wave keeps, keeps coming, Exodus chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Raphidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Again, when they don't get what they want, they complained about it. They quarrel with the leaders. They glorified the past because that was their mindset. Their minds had been hugely influenced by their past and they were unable to believe that the Lord would provide. The test was not about what was happening to them. It was about what wasn't happening for them. You see, when we're in bitter moments, fear jumps up and says, wasn't life better when? But faith in those moments can believe, you know, the Lord will provide what we need. What makes us bitter? Bitterness is a com complex emotion for sure. It includes, it includes disappointment, but it's one way that faith gets tested. You remember James chapter one, we read this before. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think you'll agree that everybody is vulnerable to bitterness. Nobody gets through life without a trauma of some kind. There's maybe a romantic relationship that went sour, a parent who walked out, a cruel bully back in grade school, or maybe someone mistreated you and got away with it. The question is whether we surrender our minds and souls to it. Now, I personally have three basic simple goals for life. At the end of my life, I want my wife to love me, for my children to love Christ and his church, and I would like to personally have a sweet spirit and not have become cynical or, or silly. And I know that unless I resolve issues that were bitter to me in the past, they can creep up and turn what should be praise for God 
and to protest about the present. I got an email a while back I'd like to share with you. Dear Dan, this morning I was thinking about your message on bitter moments and it got me started thinking about my own faith. I'd have to say that the time I was most tested was right here in New Zealand, which is my mission field. I went through real bad culture shock. I'd cry for days wondering what I was doing here. I felt no sense of belonging. There weren't many ministries we could get involved in and the New Zealanders were taking a long time to warm up to us. I can remember the countless times I fell on my knees pleading with God to make it better or get me out of this country. In all of that time of hurt for me, God was using it as a time to stretch me, to shape me into the woman of God that he desires for me to be. Once I remembered who my hope was, who my hope was, I began to spend hours in the word and hours praying to him. I didn't just pray for strength, I also thanked him for the journey he had me on. Well, God has turned my world upside down since that time. I love it here in New Zealand. They have become my family, and God is continuing to pour out his blessings here in this place. I just hope that in some way, someone might be blessed through my story. You know, biblically, there is a practical test as to when we are truly trusting God, or to put it another way, loving God as we are commanded to do in that big circle, to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First, I am to love God enough to be contented because otherwise even our natural and proper desires bring us into revolt against God. Discontentment causes us to want what we don't have. What we had or what we don't have is perceived as better than what we do have. It seldom occurs to us that if we're not content where we are, there's a very good chance that we won't be content wherever it is we want to be. The first step is to trust that God has us right where he wants us to be that he's, and that he's going to provide what is needed. Now, the second part of this test I know that I'm loving God when I'm able to have a quiet disposition and a heart that gives thanks at any given moment. I think this is the real test of the extent to which we love God in any given moment. Scripture teaches us that we should give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's something practical that she wrote in the email that I just shared with you. She said, I didn't just pray for strength, I also thanked him. She wasn't thankful for the circumstances, but she could be thankful in the circumstances. She knew that she could trust God. Now that's what was happening to Israel. They were learning to trust God. There was plenty they didn't like about life in Egypt, but there were some things that were at least predictable, like having water to drink, so after three days, they and their animals would have used up all the water that they had brought. So their attitude makes sense, at least to me. In that moment, what they didn't have became the focus of their thoughts. They weren't thinking about their blessings of being delivered from slavery or hardship and death. They weren't thinking about being delivered from Egypt and then from the mighty, well-trained and equipped Egyptian army. God was building the faith of his people. But when their faith was tested, they complained. Listen to what they said to Moses. You made us a stench to Pharaoh. You brought us here to die. You brought us here to starve us. Certainly, 
the Lord is not with us. You brought us here so that we would die of thirst. I mean, on and on. Their words were influenced by their mindset. Let me ask you, what do your words reveal about your mindset? How is God building your faith? Complaining and arguing has always been a problem with God's people, right? In spite of God's presence. I don't want to speak for you, but for most people, grumbling comes pretty easy. But the New Testament makes it simple for us. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Maybe the biggest challenge of all with starting something that's new to you is the change in mindset that's required. That's why we're learning this. What I've noticed in my life is that while trials develop perseverance and perseverance leads to maturity, maturity also shapes expectations. You really have to check your expectations because we all have expectations. You see, Israel fully expected that 33 miles after the Red Sea, they would have some good water, only to find that the water was bitter. It was undrinkable. In fact, the water at that place is considered by the Arabians to be the worst in the whole district. So now what? Call to God? Nope. Instead of looking up and calling out to God, they looked down and complained to Moses. So three days after giving praise, they panicked. And panicked people complain. God graciously sweetened the water and they drank. And God provided manna and quail to eat. You know, we've been called out to follow Jesus. Specifically, we've been called to create a network of microchurches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. What has God called you to? Whatever it is, you have permission to get started. And what are your expectations? God's Old Testament people were shaped through the struggle. God took this opportunity to teach them about trusting Him enough to be thankful and content. It's no different for us. Sometimes you're going to have bitter moments when we just don't have what we expected. Listen, God's not trying to break you. He's trying to shape you. God is able to use the circumstances that you currently are in to build you into the man or woman that he created you to be. It's critical to believe that so that when I get some bit, something bitter, I can praise and not panic. Instead of panic, why not be thankful and content? Not because you give up or give in, but because you trust your heavenly Father. What is bitter to you? Is there anything that's causing you to grumble? You don't have to answer that out loud. Maybe you don't grumble publicly, but privately? What has not happened for you? What about your life is not at all what you expected it to be? Through the struggle, we are shaped. God is maturing us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for how you shape us. Father, forgive us when we have complained and we have griped to you about things that, that when we stop and think about it, we know, Father, that you love us, that you are shaping us, and that you are maturing us. Father, I pray that you will continue to lead us to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would do the work that is your work. We pray, Father, that you will be glorified. It's in the name of the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.